Discussions with Shumahan, um, getting really emotional about uh, about death, death of his homies. And, uh, we want to continue that. Want to rewind a little bit and take you back a little bit, and uh, and continue the story from there. So, without further ado, without getting too much in the way of this uh, second part of Danny Miller. Thanks. The time, so you know, finally she gave in. You know, they told me. Yeah, that just fucked me up. Where do you think people go when they die? I I don't I, I don't believe in God. And, and by the same token, like when I say I don't believe in God, I don't believe in the devil. Right. You know, people are like, oh, if you believe in God, then you must believe in the devil. Like, no, if you, I don't believe in either. Well, it's a false mm-hmm. dilemma. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know. So so so, do you think that's just it? I know that my brother, my own little snuffy, my own little wicked, smiley, travieso, Danny boy. All my homies, you know, Pee Wee, they live it in here. In your heart. Yeah. In, in, in my in memories. memories. In my memories. Yeah. In my memories. So you're carrying all that, right? You're carrying all that. You're trapped. You're behind bars. Boom. We come off a lockdown. Right. March, April, 2000. I'm volunteering to fucking go on a mission. You're like... Whatever's got to be done, I'm ready. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I keep on turn to go on a mission. Like, send me, send me. Raising your hand. And uh, my first cellmate, <clears throat> who when I first got to prison, who I was in juvenile hall with, yeah. he's going behind my back. I'm like, nah, don't send him. Shit, that who's going home, man. Let him fucking go home. Right. He got a date. There's a bunch of other life here that we can send and shit, you know? Right. He's emotional. He's on one right now. But in reality, he's a good dude. He's got a date. Let's not fuck him up. Yeah. You know, and so I ended up going to level three, which is in the same prison, same facility, but it's just a different yard. I go to level three, and I'm I'm st- I'm going there with the intention, like if I so- if I find somebody that needs to go, I'm gonna do it. And sure enough, you know, if you look hard enough, homie, you gonna find it. If you find if you look hard enough, you'll find some dirty laundry and shit. You know? Yeah. And uh, yeah, sure enough, I ended up fucking catching a, an assault with the weapon. Right. And I guess into the whole, that was in March. No, that was uh, almost like a year later. Almost a year later, March of 2001. Let me ask you this. The motivation to find dirty laundry, to do whatever, was that purely just to like release some pent-up anger that you had? I think so. And then who I ended up finding it on. You know what I mean? Like he was someone that, you know, who was related to, to folks who I considered my Responsible. Enemy. Yeah. So those two things came together in a way that then you were able to, to work out some, some feelings. 
Mm-hmm. And then it you, didn't work though. Why? It never fucking worked, bro. It doesn't. Nah. Uh, so you know what? You Explain mean? that. Like, expand on that because I guarantee you, there's some knuckleheads listening right now. You knucklehead one, knucklehead two. I know you're listening. They don't really understand what what you're saying right there. There's a lot of pe- There's a lot of guys I know because they DM me, try to talk shit. I'm like, come on, man. But they they don't understand what you're saying. It doesn't really work. What 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 doesn't work? The same. The cycle of violence, bro. The cycle of violence of continuing to perpetuate the same violence that was perpetuated on me. Yeah. It's never going to get me anywhere. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to carry on this hatred forever. And it just fucking eats at you, bro. So there's no end to it when you, you think, okay, I'm going to do my piece and then it's going to be done. It's, it doesn't work like that. Not if you're fucking with some shooters either. Right. You know I mean, if you're fucking with some shooters, they're going to come back. Right. You know what I mean? And it's just a fucking cycle that continues to repeat itself, bro. We've been going at it with Carmelas, with Chivas, Articia for fucking generations, bro. Right. I mean, we, we could say the same thing about Santa Monica, Venice, Hotel, Culver yeah. City. This shit's been going on for years. To what end, bro? Right. Mm-mm. I think about that. You know that? There's times where I think about, like, you know, there's times that I think about violence. You know what I mean? Where I'm like, you know what? If I got in a fight with that dude, I'd probably fucking win. I'm pretty sure I would. I've had that thought. And I'm like, so fuck it. You know, when it comes down to But then I always think about something my dad told me when I was growing up. And he's like, if you ever get your ass kicked by somebody, what you do is you go and you get a bat. <laughs> and then you wait for him. And when he's not looking, he's walking, you fucking start hitting him with the bat. And he told me that. And I remember thinking, like, well, that's a pretty good idea. But then I also realized, like, but if I don't kill him, mm-hmm. how do I know he's not going to come back with something better than a bat? And I was thinking about, and I think about that a lot, especially with chicken shit motherfuckers, where I'm like, that guy right there, I'm going to fucking punk him. I'm going to tell him, fuck you. I might be old, but I still kick your ass. Da, da, da. But then I always think, like, but am I going to, do I have eyes in the back of my head? I can't be walking around, like, I, I'm going to slip. It's, I don't know anybody who doesn't slip. For me, I'm at a point where I'm going to try to defuse the situation, bro. Right. That's where I come at it now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, I believe that you people have the right to defend themselves. Sure. Without a doubt. But sure. I'm not, gonna, I'm not out there trying to start shit. I'm not out there trying to pump shit up, you know? Right. And, and, and so um, that's where I come at it from, you know? And, and so, but for a long time, bro, like after, after that happened, after that incident happened in High Desert, you know, I pick up that, 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 that stabbing. I go to the hole for nine months. I'm in High Desert. Ad- administrative segregation for nine months I get shipped out I get sent out again I, I don't get moved out I, get, I stay in the same fucking prison high desert and I end up going to uh, D yard which is another again it's a level four um, similar to C yard but it's just more chill it's straight fucking chill dog. like we hardly any lockdown we're just programming mm-hmm. kicking it mm-hmm. you know um, and s- something happens where you know about like maybe like about a year and a half in two years in there being there someone fucking locks it up He's, he goes on a bad trip, fucking supposedly, but he ain't slept in like four days. Mm. And he starts tripping and he fucking locks it up and gives up names. And I'm one of those names that's in that, in that list of names. What? I mean, and, you know, these are the dudes that are running the yard. Okay. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, they fucking, one day they raided my house, like fucking three in the morning, like just like, like in the streets. You know mm-hmm. mean like it was almost like same thing as the streets. They came to my fucking, to my cell at three in the morning. You know, four in the morning, fucking, you know, cuff me up, put me in the shower, just in my boxers, and they're going through all my shit. They Toss take, all your shit. Yeah, they take, and they take, you know, anything that's paperwork. 
Right. Anything that's paperwork, they take all that and they like, you know, leave my like my soaps or right. um, you know, things, you know, shit like that, right? And um about a week later they bring my stuff back. I'm under investigation. A couple of people are, right? And um and sure enough, I think it was like July of two thousand three, they pop my door, like, hey, you gotta go to the program office. Like, all right, I know what this is. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Fucking go to the program office, they hit me with my one twenty eight G, you know, um, you're, you're validated as an associate to a prison gang. And, um, and, and right then in that moment, I was like, for me, I was like, all right, cool. I'm finally going to where I've been wanting to go. I've been wanting to go to Pelican Bay Shoe. I've been wanting to go to solitary confinement. At, at the same time, though, I was thinking like, for sure now, I'm going home. Because in, once I'm in solitary, there ain't no way that I'm going to fucking. pick up any more time. I'm not going to pick up any more time because in the right. Bay, you're single cell. Right. right. You can't, they can't get you to do anything. I mean, I, can't, I ain't going to hurt nobody and I ain't going to hurt myself. Right, right. right. You know what I mean? So I end up going to the Bay. Um, and uh, I, I'm in solitary and high desert for you know, about nine months. And then I get shipped. Instead of going to the Bay, I get shipped to Tehachapi. Tehachapi for a year. And even though there's like no education and you know, people aren't like doing the study stuff like, we, like in the Bay, being studious and being academically, um, the Tehachapi was just kickback, man. Right? Like we had... We had the Laker channel. We had the Dodger channel. Mm. You know, uh, me and my son, we both had a TV. We had a radio. We had a neighbor who was making some fucking fire-ass liquor. I had a homie that was- Out of what? Out of oranges and, 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 and uh, pancake syrup. Damn. Yeah, out of oranges. We- Tehachapi was the only place we that I had orange in prison, bro. So the fucking pruno there was fucking fire. Compared to like High Desert, it was mostly the grapefruit and apples. But uh, I did attach uh, with the first place I had fucking pruno with fucking uh, orange juice, and that was fire. Right. And this is in the, in the shoe, though. You know what I mean? So, like, homie was making some fire liquor, you know? And I had a homie that was on the main line, and once in a while through the laundry, I'll get, like, a fucking bag of tobacco, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, like, we're chill. Like, mm. we're just chilling. Right. I'm there for a year, and they tell me, time to trash back, going up to the bay. And so, you know, I, I went to the bay um, 2005. For the remainder of my sentence. Okay. At this point, in my mind, I'm like, all right, if I get, because I used to do that a lot. Like, if I get released right now, 1999, my brother just got killed. Like, I'm going to be fucking active. Mm-hmm. And like two years later, three years later, if I get released right now, what would I do? I'm focused on making money. Right. Selling dope. Like, right. I, I, I can come up with a dope-ass scheme where I'm going to fucking make hella money. And right. then, you know, as... As I'm going along in, in the years, like, my mind just starts changing and changing, right? And for different reasons, mm-hmm. right? And um, so I get to the bay. When, by the time I get to the bay, I'm having these feelings like, I don't want to come back to prison no more. Mm-hmm. You're done. Yeah. And, and, and it really, like, there, and there was, like, different gradual, it was a gradual process to get to that point. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to say definitely when we got to the bay, when we got off the bus, right? There, I'm off the, we get off the bus, we get off the Great Goose, and there's about, like, 40 of us all shackled up. And we're walking into this building, a big-ass white building with the red door that's open, right? It just, the door just opened, and it feels like we're just all getting swallowed in. Right. Like every, every, everybody's walking in, and we're just fucking getting swallowed into this fucking beast, right? Yeah. They close the door behind you, t- stand you up against the wall, and the lieutenant comes in. And like, gentlemen, welcome to Pelican Bay State Prison. Welcome to the security housing unit, where the only place that you're going to be able to get out of here is if you were parole. Snitch or you die. I mean, mm-hmm. other than that, that's yeah, it. That's pretty much it. That's the end of the road. 
And I was like, fuck, yo, that, that's some cold ass shit, you know? Yeah. Um, and then right there, just, you know, just things have started happening, bro, like just mentally, you know what I mean? And once I get to Pelican Bay, you know, um, and I'm around folks that, for sure, one of the things that had an impact on me is being around people who I got to know and who seeing that I had the potential to do other things. So they recognized yeah. an it, ability in you, had some faith in you. And, and this is something that I had, I had other homies that, that were also like that. Homies that had done time, like, you know, been to the shoe, solitary confinement. Yeah. And they're telling me, like, you should go to school, bro. What is it that they see in you when they tell you that? Like, what is your natural thing that they're seeing? A lot of them probably heard that the way I used to make money. You know, I was the hustler, make things happen and shit, you know? So your get downs were smart. Yeah. You mean I, I know how to I, I know how to go into a situation and figure out that system yeah. and thrive on it. I knew how to thrive in the streets. I mean, I, I didn't do that in prison. That was only because my sister didn't keep up her end of the bargain. Right. And when I was in prison, her end of the bargain, she was supposed to send me dope. Right. And I was like, yo, I'm gonna send you back fucking money. Just send me a fucking pedazo of dope and I'm gonna send you back money and watch how I'm gonna fucking And she didn't fr- want to get caught up. Not that she didn't want to get caught up. Her fear it tur- at the end, she told me, like, I didn't want you to turn into a fucking dope fiend. Okay. And not because of me. Right. Like, I, I had so many homies, though, that went into fucking prison, never fucking touched dope, mm-hmm. come home, dog, they're, they're fucking strung out. Right. Yeah. And that was her fear. Her so, fear was like, they actually tell me, whatever you do, don't ever get no peacocks. And go like, why? Because mostly all the, all, the, all the dope fiends in Norwalk have peacocks on them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so let me ask you this. And, so and we're talking about tattoos, though. Peacock right. tattoos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you... You make that decision, you do your time, you figure out, how does it that you come home? What happens when you come home? Well, I think even talking about that transition is important for me, right? Because like, um, something that, that, that happened, right, was um, I, you know, while I was in solitary confinement, I started doing the GED program, mm-hmm. you know, um, and I, there's someone there that's helping me in that process, to, to tutoring. And one day, I go to tutoring, bro. I go, I go, no, I go to take my test. I go to take my GT test. And they take us down to this, um, to the visiting. So they put you like in these cells by yourself, small little like small little cubicle by yourself, where you do your test. And when I'm in there, I see someone walk by who I recognize. He has a tattoo on the back of his head. It says CR, which is Cantarranas. And he walks right in front of me, and, and I'm about to yell out to yell, yell out to him, and and someone else calls him. Someone else calls him and gets his attention. He be like, Hey, who's that? And he says, Hey, it's me, the homie um, from Cantarranas. He goes, Oh, hey, what's up, homie? It's uh, Googies from Carmelas. And, and Carmelas, those are like my fucking rival, like bitter-ass rivals, right? Mm-hmm. And as soon as I hear that, like, man, fuck this fool. But even though we're in prison, mm-hmm. we're not supposed to have that mentality, right? right you know, you right, know right, like right, we're in prison, right. like we're supposed right. to be homies. Mm-hmm. For me, like I got this feeling in my body, man, fuck this dude. I mean, they're the ones that are responsible for my homie, for my dog getting killed. Yeah. And at the same time, they're your car that you're supposed to roll with. Right. And, and so the homie introduces himself to the homie from Cantarrana. And after they're done talking, you know, I jump on. And I, and I call the homie, the one that just walked in. You know, I know him. Like, hey, what's up, homie? It's me, Turtle from Norwalk. Oh, what's up, homie? Send my saludos. You know, and I go right, right back. And then I stay quiet. I don't say nothing. And then I'm thinking that the dude, you know, the dude, there's like a moment of silence, right? Mm-hmm. And then my body, like, man, don't fucking call me. He calls me. He goes, hey, Turtle. Hey, what's up, man? It's uh, Gugi from Carmelas. And in my body, I can feel it like, man, fuck this fool. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And he says, I send my love. I send my love, homie. And 
in that moment, yo, they're like, it just like hits me like, what the fuck are we doing to each other? That we gotta come all the way to fucking Pelican Bay mm-hmm. for you to tell me that you got love for me. Right. How come you didn't tell me that shit on the street? How come we didn't tell that shit to each other on the mm-hmm. street to even prevent this whole fucking cycle right. of ending up here in solitary confinement? It's backwards. It's backwards, bro. In that moment, you were like, something's got to change. Yeah. Mm. I want to interject. I want to say something, man. Yeah. And that's that. Like, he's mentioning these enemy neighborhoods and stuff. Yeah. And a lot of these, you know, whether they're young or doesn't matter how old they are, and they're devoted to this neighborhood. Right. And they're committed to commit murders and different things against these enemies. Yeah. And then you get sent to prison. Should right. you get caught for these crimes? Yeah. And you go to these level four yards and you're doing time with other other dudes, your enemies, that have gotten busted for killing guys in your neighborhood, your homeboys. Right. The first people that you are gonna be put together with yeah. are your enemies. Because right. those are the same dudes from your area. Right. And these bonds, as soon as you get in there, it's all that's forgotten. It has to be. Right. And now you're road dogs. Even but the, wait, but even the guys uh, that that are in the hierarchy above you are also telling you like, "Hey, you got to forget all, yeah, that, all shit. that, bro. You're not that 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 shit doesn't go. Right. But all but those politics are over. They're supposed to be over. They're supposed to be over. And but they're not. They're still yeah. And they're still sidewinding weird shit. There always is. Right. But on the big picture, yeah. And what happens is you become. These, bro, I had cellies from in different areas, man, and these dudes had my back. Like, when shit was cracking, these were the dudes you're rolling with. These are like your homeboys, but right. in there, right? Right. And, like, in those situations, a lot of times, for me, we were able to put all that aside and, like, talk about these stuff and get close and really be, like, like family, dog. How do you throw but that we away? we couldn't do this on the streets. Yeah. We had to be put in prison to understand... Uh, so much that we have in common that we're not different. You know what I'm saying? And you build this bond and no. We, somebody talked about it on the show. Like, I ran into fools that are my enemies that I did time with. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. How do you throw that and away? And when I was younger and we run into each other, no. Like, we didn't. Me and those dudes, once that bond was made, yeah. if we seen each other on the street, I get a pass, he get a pass. Because it's like, we experienced something together. That's kind of outside the neighborhood. But you know what? You know, I'm struck by something when you're talking about this, both of you guys. And that is a lot of times it seems like when you're really committed to a neighborhood or even when you first get into the prison situation, it seems like it's really the younger guys that haven't earned any stripes yet. And they want to show everyone around them how dedicated they are. That they're not punks, that they're not scared, that, you know, all this stuff. It's younger dudes who want to do that. And then, as you're saying, like, why does it take prison to get us to a different place? And part of me was thinking, like, maybe part of it is because some of the shit that you thought you had to prove, you did. You already did. You you proved it to yourself. You've shown yourself. So it's not as important now as as it was. I don't need to distinguish myself. I'm not, I don't, not... I'm not insecure. Right. Now I'm not insecure. I, I Just because now I can start thinking about some other level things that maybe when I was younger and, and insecure and I had to prove something, 
I couldn't allow myself to get into that because I got a show. I ain't a punk. Might be some of that. It might be some of that, but I would say the part that Danny's talking about is to me like everything you just said makes all the sense. Like it hit you right then. Like what the fuck are we doing, right? But this is what I want to know because it's, and I'm not saying it's not. As we're having this conversation, I am not saying that the mainstream powers that be haven't set things up a certain sort of way. I'm not saying that. I'm not, because it it is. But I also think on some other level, like, no no one's foreseen, right? Let's just take it out of your guys' context, but let's just say in another context. Like, no one's foreseen, you know, me to hate on somebody from another place except you know that's what just seems to be going on but i could why isn't the community why wouldn't the community why is the community looking not as a community but as individuals and saying you know what let's bypass the step let's just bypass the prison part let's bypass that because we're going to end up there we're going to end up at some point older talking about you know what? Why did we do all that? Why did we go through all that? It's not, it's unnecessary. Why did it take, let's just bypass that right now. Let's just admit like there's no other way to go besides this. You're either going to be dead, locked up for life, or you're going to come to a place of wisdom where you're like, you know what? It's not working. This doesn't work. I, I think there are some people who are preaching that and bringing that to the table. Older guys that have gone through it. Yeah. <laughs> but youth. You think, from my experience with Go ahead. Yeah. they ain't listening. They look at it and glorify the shit through you. And they're you, man, they want to experience, they, they're like, you tell them the whole thing and they ain't going to, they don't want to find it out through you. They like are glorifying the shit you're telling them. They want to go to prison. They want to. This, and this, and it's not nothing new though. Like, right. But the, the youth, the shit that they're doing now, like we've been doing shit. People, like youth have been doing shit from, you know, or have been vilified and criminalized for for generations right not even just you know we go back to the pachucos just because of the way they were dressed they're being fucking vilified so like this idea of um they're just cycles that repeat themselves in my case at least the way i see it it's true it's true listen i'm not saying this isn't true but what i'm also saying is is like i'm saying this for american indians too Mm -hmm. all right like there's a lot of stuff that goes on in the american indian community that drives me crazy where i'm like I, I know this is what you think and I know you think this is real but this is just going to lead you right here so what I'm saying is is like and for the American any community sometimes I'm mad because I'm like you know you already know we've got history we already had a generation that tried it that way and look at where it got them we already know that if it were you know what it's like fighting capitalism I was just telling my wife this the other night I said you know what babe I think I'm not, it's not that I'm for capital, I'm not. But what I'm saying is, is, is obviously fighting against it doesn't work because people have been trying to do that for a long time, it's still around. So like, that must be part of capitalism's way of throwing you off. It's like, come on and fight us, try to take us out. And I was thinking, what if you reframed the whole discussion? Like, 
Maybe there's capitalism involved in every system that's set up. It's like a quality of something. It's like an eye. In an eye, there's always going to be a pupil. There's always going to be an iris. And communism is the iris and capitalism is the pupil. You can't have an eye unless you got a pupil and an iris. Now all you're arguing about is how big is the pupil? How big is the iris? The minute that you think you can get rid of a pupil, you don't have an eye anymore. So in, in, in human relations... You're always going to have a, comp- a competitive capitalistic quality and you're always going to have a communal communist quality. It's going to be a piece of it where we share. It's going to be a piece where I'm going to try to come up. Maybe I can't come up on money, but I'm going to have more pussy than you. Maybe I'm not going to be able to come up on that. I, maybe I can't get that, but I'm going to have a higher position than you. So, uh, so what I'm saying is, is like, what is it that we, where do we need to change the focus in order to get real, to move the needle in the Chicano Latino community and what you're talking about, Danny. Well, one, I, I don't believe that capitalism is the answer. Right. At all. Because no matter what, there's always going to be a group of people that are going to be subjugated under capitalism. Okay. Now, what we lack is a, co- a collective and, and, and a solidarity movement between all people that are oppressed, right? I'm talking about, like, not just... I don't... First and foremost, I, I'm going to identify with people that are... Um, not just Latinos or Chicanos, because then even that you get into this um, right this, this this cultural naturalism type of thing, right? right. Where it's just like you just advocate for your people. Like for me, we gotta advocate for all people. So if I'm not advocating for the people that are being the most oppressed, right? And so, and how do we figure that out? Or like you know, because then we get into this oppression Olympic. Like, oh, I'm more oppressed than you, right? You know what I mean? Like, like right. First of all, we have to un- un- recognize that we are on indigenous land. Right. You know what I mean? So, so nothing happens in the United States without co- the colonization and the genocide of indigenous people. Okay. Right? Around the world, by the way. Let's, let, I'm American Indian, so let me just explain. People say that here, and it's true, and I'm not saying it's not true, but I'm saying they act like in Europe there wasn't that, and they act like in China. The people that are running China right now, right, those weren't the original inhabitants of China. Right. Okay. Tibet, where the Dalai Lama is. China has gone in and wiped those people and moved them out. All right? So it's not just. So what I'm trying to say is it's like, okay, all right, now continue. Well, yeah, of course. Like, like we have to recognize that, that, that it's not just about borders, right? It, it, there's, there, we have to go beyond the borders of like, oh, we just have to think about the oppression just in the United States and recognize that the same shit that we go through here, just like same, he, he talked about like in our barrios. Yeah. It's happening the same thing in, in, in other parts of the world. Of course. I mean, like we export this shit, you know what I mean? I mean, I don't, I, I actually, no, I actually think we imported it. I actually, people talk to me and they go, hey, why are you so upset about money and blah, 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 blah. And the Europeans, right? They talk shit about Americans. I go, motherfucking Europe, where do you think we learned the shit? Well, we I'm learned ta- it from yeah, you. No, but I'm talking about like when we, uh, the, 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 where we come from, like the, the street gang lifestyle, that, that, we export that now to other countries. That's export, absolutely we, true. MS-13 didn't start in Salvador. That's true. MS-13 started in MacArthur Park. Yeah. Right, right, mm-hmm. right. That's yeah, true. Yeah. And so now we deport that through deportations and, you know, we, we, we mass incarcerate people right. and, and we strip them of their, That's their citizenship. That's 100%. And boom. Now, 100%. now they're all over there doing 100%. the same shit that they were doing over here. 100%. Um, and and to, for me, what, what got me to that point where I started seeing that it wasn't just about my barrio and these were my enemies. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I was in the shoes, there was people from different neighborhoods that, you know, that, 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 that took me under. Right, mm-hmm. uh, that that you know who I would consider my enemy, the, the homie from Artista. You know, he 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 was someone that that that, that schooled me and mentored me. You know, mm-hmm. um, and, and so 
And not just that, though, but like before coming home, um, right around the time I got to the shoe, my little brother and my nephew started hitting the streets. Right. I mean, my, my, nephew, my nephew was already getting criminalized. He had you know, been in, in, in foster homes and, and, and juvenile camps by the time I got out, you know. Um, and when I got out, um, I knew that I couldn't tell my brother or my nephew what to do mm. without setting an example. You know what I mean, I, I wasn't going to be able to come home and tell them, like, hey, you need to fucking stop running on the streets. And I'm like, fuck you. I don't know you. You've been away for 14 years. I ain't got to listen to you. Right. You know I mean? And, and, like, I remember when I came home, one of my homies told me, like, if hey, we got to beat your brother down, man, that food's getting out of hand. And like, my dad used to beat the shit out of me. Mm-hmm. It didn't work for me. I have to figure out a different way. What is that way? And for me, it was just setting an example. I had to set a different example. So and, what did you do? And the only thing that, that, that I had available to me at that point point was higher education bro so what did you do i enrolled into community college i mean not just for my little brother or for my nephew but also for myself because i seen that as an opportunity yeah. to be able to transform my life after being in prison for 14 years right right i went to community college which is something that i was already doing in prison in solitary confinement right in solitary confinement i'm taking college courses you know and, and, and homies right there are pumping me up like yo you got to continue your education when you get home because i was trying to finish my aa in the shoe i didn't i came home with a bunch of credits and I said, you know what? I'm just going to go back to school. I'm just finished my AA, and we'll see if I can get a job. Was your mom around at that time? Yeah. And was she happy and proud of you for that? Yeah, yeah. She, she set the bar low for me, man. She told me, if you could come home from Pelican Bay with just your GED, I'll be happy. Right. And so, like, fuck that. I'm coming home with at least a, a, a certificate from college and some credits. Right. You know? So I came home, and um, she told me, look, man, um, if you're not going to, if you're going to go to school, you don't got to pay rent. Right. So, like, cool. Because, you know. That, that's a sweet deal. I, I want, and I want to go to school. Right. I go to school, and, and um, even before I start, I, I ran into two different people from my neighborhood who were already going to Cerritos College, and they kind of helped me navigate the system. Right. I mean, I realized that it's just a system, just like prison. Yep. Mm-hmm. As long as you know how to navigate system, it, it, the prison system, you'll survive. Right? You'll survive if you learn how to navigate the prison system. Right. But for me, the difference between... Uh, prison and higher education is that if you learn how to navigate higher education, mm-hmm. you move from survival to thriving. Right. You know what I mean? And that's what I was able to do through higher education, right? So through higher education, through mm-hmm. going to community college, I'm in community college for two years, you know, and, and prior, like I said, prior before even starting school, I ran to two, two people from my neighborhood. They kind of ran me down, you know, how to navigate the system. Mm-hmm. I took that knowledge with me, you know, and I was in community college for two years. Did anybody try to suck you back into the old life? Nah, maybe once once I first got out. Right. When I first got out, like, it, it was active in my neighborhood, man. We're amongst each other. You was, there, like, like, was, there, was there any chick, because every guy's got, like, a bad news chick that's fucking hot and sexy, but she's also encouraging. Now, I, you know, like, for me, it was, it, it, when I got out, most of the people that I ran with um, were already kind of, like, phased out. Yeah. Um, it, but there was... There were still like a small group of folks that, that I grew up with that were still kind of, you know, around, you know. And when I came home, you know, people checked in with me like, you know, we need your help. You know, like, I'm cool, bro. Like, I- I'm kicking it. I'm not going to do that. That's not what I'm about. Did they respect that? Yeah. Okay. And, 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 and um, people would tell me like, you, we knew that you were going to come out either the way you are right now mm-hmm. or you were going to come out like on a whole other level. Right. Like trying to organize some shit out here. Like a heavier dude. Yeah. And like for me, like, you know, that's. That's kind of like the way people thought of me, right? And so, um, so you get through community college, and then what happens? I end up transferring to UC Berkeley. 
Damn. I, I, I mean, that's a major jump Amen. up, right? <laughs> Your mom must have fucking, she must have made fucking chili rellenos or something. How long, how long, how long were you in City College? For um, two years in prison and two years on the streets. So you dedicate four years to City College, and then you get, you decide you're going to go to a UC? Yeah. Yeah. How difficult is that? Like, how does that, how do you get to a UC? For me, it wasn't that difficult once I learned, I I learned how to navigate the system, right? Like, I learned, I looked at the application, I I, I studied He's got an amazing story, bro. I studied the application, like, you know, what is it that they ask you on the application? Right. they ask you, were you part of Puente program? Were you part of the Honor Scholars program? Were you part of EOPS? So they have these boxes on the application for UCs. So I got into all those programs. So when I fill out the application. Because like, yeah. you were part of all those things? Yeah. No, 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 no. He's saying he wasn't uh, a stupid, though. He looked at the application ahead of time, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And he saw what they asked. So instead of showing up the first time and looking down and being like, ooh, thank God I'm in some of these. He figured out what they want to ask him, and he went and joined those programs ahead of time. Ah, that's gotcha. the smart move. Okay, I mean, most so, mo- most motherfuckers show up for the day. They're like, they don't even have a plan. They're just right. like, okay, boom, what's gonna happen? But he's thinking ahead. And so, um, when I was in, once I realized that I wanted to transfer, um, at that point I was still doing sociology. Right. And I'm talking. To, I have a mentor now at in Cerritos College. Armando Soto, right? He's an academic counselor. Now he's a dean of student services here in Santana City, Santana College Community no College. No shit. Um, he, you know, um, I, I struggle with math, bro. Like I fucking, I struggle with math. Me too. And, and um, so, Seb, do you know what an ounce is? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, um, he tells me like, if you do sociology, you're gonna have to do statistics, oh, stats. Yeah, yeah. And he goes, but you, and so it makes it more difficult to get into Berkeley because it's a uh, sociology at Berkeley is like one of the most impacted. Right. And he's telling me like, dude, just get into Berkeley. Just get in. Right. And, and the way you could do that is uh, switch your major. Yep. I, I switched to Chicano studies. You can get into, Chicago, you can get into Berkeley with, uh, at that point, you could do college algebra. Right. So I felt comfortable with college algebra because I had been doing it yeah. from the beginning. Like, you know, I started with basic math, then went to pre-algebra, algebra, you know, and right. so on and so right. forth. Right. Once I got to college algebra, at least I had a concept of it. It was like, I went from algebra to stats, which is a whole different field. Right. You know, so like, fuck it, I'm going to switch to Chicano studies. And boom, I got into Berkeley. I got into Berkeley, UCLA, UC Riverside. Why did you Santa choose, Why did you choose Berkeley? And Damn, you got accepted to all those schools? Yeah. Why did you choose Berkeley? <laughs> um... I wanted to go to UCLA first. Yeah. Right? I wanted to go to UCLA that's first. That's no small. That's a good school, too. Yeah. Well, I, I grew up a Bruin fan. I was in prison. I was, you know, basketball, football fan. But right? you were like, fuck it. Oakland A's. I'm going to Berkeley. Nah, not even. It wasn't even that. I went to UCLA one day, and I met some dope-ass people, but I didn't feel comfortable there just because of the way the, the, the I'm a grimy person. I like, I, I like the griminess of places. Okay. Like, and, and that's kind of what I got th- from Berkeley. Right. Mm. It is. Yeah. Like it is. on the south side, right? Yeah. Mm. Telegraph and all that. Like, and Steve was UCLA. Sometimes it's, a little, in the more, it's a little more hippie-ish. Yeah, yeah. And so you go to UCLA. It's like it's right it, by Bel Air. It, it's a fucking like a private school. It is. It's right by Bel Air. And like for me, like oh, I'm not really feeling this. It was just the aesthetics of it, not that the people. I met some fucking dope ass people at UCLA. Yeah. It was. I met this brother from Compton. He was uh, an academic counselor. I remember when I went to do a workshop at UCLA, and I um. I put them to the side. Like I would always like stay back, and especially like if there was like a connection that I can make with folks. Like if someone starts like, oh, you know, I grew up in, you know, I grew up here. They might not say that they're formerly incarcerated or maybe never been to prison, but they're like, oh, I grew up in the hood. So once somebody says that, like to me, like an open door, like oh, I, I can yeah, reach yeah, out to yeah, this yeah, person, yeah, yeah, right, yeah. right? And like so, I, I tell them, like, oh man, I got out of prison, bro. Like 
would that fucking prevent me from going to Berkeley or UCLA? Like, man, fuck that. Talk about that in your personal exactly. statement. Talk about that. That's you what mean? they want to hear. Mm-hmm. You know, and so people were encouraging me, like, no, apply. And so um, one day I went to Berkeley and, and you know, I, I fell in love with the aesthetics of the place, right? Right. Like, it's uh, a beautiful uh, campus. Yeah. But, but also, you know, it, just, it was just, it was not UCLA, like, you know, and, and but also what I remembered about Berkeley and the Bay Area yeah. was that when I was in prison, I used to read a lot of literature that came out of there, like Critical Resistance. They used to send us newsletters in prison. Right. Um, California Prison Focus. Um, the Revolutionary Worker. Right. Right. Um, it's all Berkeley Press. AK Press. The AK right. Press that used to be in Oakland. Like right. I used to order books out of there. They used to give you 20% off if you were incarcerated. You know? Only 20? I feel like you should get more for that. Yeah. But it's all independently run, though. Yeah. Man. I, I mean, it's, I not, it's not like it's Amazon with, you know, the dude's about to be a fucking trillionaire. Guy looks just <laughs> like Lex Luthor, right? Is anyone paying attention to that? Guy looks like Lex fucking <laughs> Luthor. <laughs> but yeah, yo, and so I'm on campus and I'm like, I'm reminiscing like, oh shit, this is. When I was in prison, a lot of the literature that I read was, came from this place. You know, like this place, it has resonates with you. Yeah, you know, and, and it has a history of social justice, right? Mm-hmm. Right, the Bay area, mm-hmm. right. So I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna come to you. I'm come, I'm coming to Berkeley. Right. And it was the best fucking move I could have made, bro. Yeah, the best move. You know, um, let's be a lot of prison reform or citizenism. Let's, and let's, like, uh, a lot of stuff like that's coming from Northern California, yeah. bro. It is. Let's cut the shit. Let's get down to some real shit. So you go to Berkeley because listen, Berkeley is part revolutionary, but then you also got a lot it's of very wh- neoliberal. It, you got a lot of white liberal chicks over there, yeah. bro. So and a lot of white you liberal know who chicks. Who wants to get to you that? Know, oh, liberal white chicks that are like, ooh, an incarcerated Chicano man. Now I'm ready. I'm like, come on, I want you to meet my parents. Let's <laughs> go. Did you hit it? Like, was there any of that? Not, not, I don't know what it was about that, bro, but like I stood with all my people, bro. Uh, like, most he's people, a purist. It wasn't that, yeah. though. It wasn't yeah. that. Yeah. Awesome. And it wasn't because of that, though. It was just because like you'd walk into space and like, oh, yeah, I'm not wanted here. Like you kind of like that for me, like I was always attentive to that type of attitude. Right. You know what I mean? Like, and, and I'm not going to fuck trying to beg people to give me their attention or something like that. Yeah, where yeah. I, I don't feel comfortable. But the places that I, that I did occupy. Yeah. Like, you know, the ethnic studies program yeah. like i found some dope ass people there that ended up being my support system right and then you know so when i get to berkeley bro <laughs> when i get to berkeley it's um it's about to be the third round of the california prison hunger strikes okay and so people at berkeley and the bay area are helping the men in solitary confinement at pelican bay mm-hmm. organize out the here. hunger strikes yeah mm-hmm. I, I, when the first two hunger strikes happened, I was in Cerritos College, but I didn't get involved because I was still on parole, bro. So my, my concern was like, I don't want to get involved. And they'd be like, oh, this is gang activity. Yeah, right. You're uh, in communication yeah, with anybody. Right. This is yeah. gang activity. That's a parole violation. Right. So like me, I just waited. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait till I transfer. Once I transfer, I'll be off parole. And sure enough, when I went to Berkeley, um, there was people there that were participating and volunteering in this work. Yeah. And so I got involved with that work, you know? And, and also, the first day of school at Berkeley is when I met someone. Um, I met Steven Sifra, who was also a transfer student, just started same year as me. He'd been in the shoe. You know, no I seen this dude in the fucking, in a building, in a, in a room, and I'm checking him out, like, just his posture, the way, you know, he's talking, and, and like, I get closer and closer, and he has a tattoo on his head right here. Like, I know what that tattoo is, you know what I mean? Like, I'm a fucking, I know all the gangs in L.A. Shit, right. You know? You're like, I'm a graduate of Shoe University, too. Yeah, you know, and so, like, I start talking to him, and, we, you know, within, like, 10 minutes, like, we find out that we're both in the Bay. Yeah. You know, and, and um, me and him kind of get involved and start doing work on campus, and we, you know, start connecting with other people. How does that feel 
to, I mean, we know how it feels to run into somebody you know when you get to the joint. It's a good feeling, yeah. right? How does it feel when you run into somebody from the joint in that setting that you've had to work so hard and you know for them to be there too, they've had to do this. How What's that like, man? I, I think one of the things that I first thought of, and I don't know if I told him that, but was like, there's got to be more people here, bro. Or maybe not here, but other places, y'all. Yeah. Because I ran into a fucking lot of dudes, man, that were very intelligent, you know? Sure. And, and um, I'm reading Iceberg Slim's uh, autobiography. He has a 175 IQ. Right, right. So there's a lot of people, just because you do crime or you're on the street does not mean you're not intelligent. Right. And so, you know... Um, you know, we, we start we start organizing on campus not just to start with uh, an underground what we call underground scholars, which yeah. is a, a support service program for formerly incarcerated students, but we also get involved with the hunger strike. Right. So while we're organizing on campus to create a space for formerly incarcerated students, the hunger strike is also happening at the same time simultaneously, and me and him get selected to you know we we they, we get asked to be part of the media team. Right, they want us to do interviews with you know newspapers, and are television, you, radio. Are you guys like not eating too? No. Yeah, see, Steve? and for me though, that was killing me, bro. Really? Like I wasn't enjoying my food, man. Because uh, like six, I was. Yeah. Steve, could you do a hunger strike? I don't uh, know if I, I could. I can't do even do a, a show without eating on the show. Right. I don't know, man. A hunger strike's <laughs> tough for me, man. I read about that shit, and I'm like, you know what? I'll be on the media. Oh, team. in there, I'd do a hunger strike if I needed to. Hell yeah. Well, it, at that point, it was mandatory. Yeah, brother, you're gonna do it. <laughs> no, but so, I'm saying like on the outside. So, no. but, but you, there were some people that did go on hunger strike, bro. But you yeah. weren't even enjoying your food. Not even just a little. You were like, man, I feel bad about eating this I, awesome tamale. I was right. I, I used to write to a lot of my homies that were still in the shoe man and they how were long riding. did they go that time the last one they went they went uh 60 days damn on a hunger strike yeah it started with thirty thousand. the first they started with thirty thousand statewide man that's and heavy. even other places like even like folks in solidarity in palestine bro were in <sighs> solidarity that were locked up over there in uh in, in, um you know because of these obviously settlers right like people that were locked up over there in, in palestine were also going on hunger strike in solidarity with uh with the folks in Pelican Bay Shoe and, Gu- and Guantanamo Bay. All right. Man, 60 days without eating. That's heavy. But just, you know, as time went on, people were dropping off. Right, of course. You know what I mean? Right. But some people went all the way and shit to like 60 days and shit. You so know? you're what was- doing this while you're starting Underground scholars. Scholarship at the same time. Yeah. And what's Underground Scholars? Underground Scholars, when we first started, we were a student club for formerly incarcerated students. And what we call system impacted, right? System impacted students are folks that have, you know, a, a parent, a brother, a loved one, you know, or, or, or even come from a barrio or a community that's highly impacted by mass incarceration, right? Sure. So we consider those folks also system impacted and we work with them as well. And so what do they do? What do um, you guys do? We do a, a, a range of things. Now, now we have like a whole program. Right. Now we have a whole program that's, you know, ran by a director. The director that, uh, her name's Azade Zarabi, who, who, who plugged me into, she's the one that plugged me into the hunger strike movement. Right. You know, now she's the director and there's three things that we do. We do um, our retention, which is um, support students that are already on campus. Sure. With, like, uh, tutoring, whether it's like uh, tutoring with their writing, with their math, um, and also support them with like personal statements for scholarships. Um, we also do advocacy. A- advocacy in the sense that um, we, 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 we support bills that, that are about criminal justice reform. Right. right, whether it's providing more education for incarcerated or formerly incarcerated people, or just reducing prison sentences, like whatever bill that's up for 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 um for a vote, like we'll support, right? Yeah, that's going to impact us in a positive way, right? Right. And then we also do um recruitment, so we recruit um formerly incarcerated students in community colleges, and we also work with people that are in prison, 
especially lifers, lifers that are going to board and that are students, they'll write to the program be like, hey, can you write, can you support me with the letter of support right. when I go to when I go to parole board? And is it a statewide program or nationwide? Um, statewide, um, but right now, just at UCLA and at UC Berkeley, we have a program. Right. The other UCs, except for UC Merced and UC Davis, um, we have a student club. Right. And how wow. has uh, the wow. virus, coronavirus, impacted what you guys are doing now? Because, I mean, universities are pretty much shut down. Yeah, yeah. No, so what have you guys had to do? Well, here's the thing, though. I, 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 don't, I don't work for the university, or, or do I work for underground scholars, right? I, I moved away, and I work somewhere else, right? Okay. But the work that I do is still around higher education advocacy. Got it. But, but I still support the work that's being done with underground scholars, right? Right. And, um, I think uh, I work not just with folks at the UC, but also the, I also work with students at the Cal State and the sure. community colleges. Yeah. And me, not to say that, that I want to put... Um, like somebody's experience is has has uh, more impacted than others, but I think you know because um, I'm in, I'm in conversations a lot with folks in community college. They're the ones that I kind of see them being really impacted because um, the university, some of them offer housing, right? Yeah, I mean the community college they don't offer no housing, right? right. And, and some of the folks were, were were dependent on their jobs on campus through work studies, right? For that money to be able to continue to you know live pay their rent things like that you know right. um, and, and I think you know this also happens to folks at the UCs because you know everybody's dependent on those work study jobs the, the CSUs so um, I think that um, the lack of income and, and, and housing instability is something that's really impacting not just formerly incarcerated students but just students in general bro right. like there's a lot of students you know that that are coming from you know from from uh, places where they're uh, communities that are highly impoverished, right, or or, or historically marginalized in terms of uh, economic opportunity, you know. And then, what about the virus impact on prisons? Like, I read a lot of uh, articles, and and I mean, basically, they're not doing any testing, and they're keeping all the sick people together. It, is there any plans to to do something or support or riot or lobby or whatever it is for the people in prison that are being impacted by the coronavirus? Yeah, actually, um, damn, I'm forgetting the date, but I think it's going to be May 18th. It's going to be uh, the Quest for Democracy, which is organized by um, um, All of Us or None. All of Us or None is a, is a national organization for formerly incarcerated people, right? They, you know, um, we have this, idea, well, at least for me, like, you know, even though I don't really, like, organize with an All of Us or None on a day-to-day basis, yeah. I still consider myself part of All of Us or None because they represent formerly incarcerated people, right? And their right. interests, right? right? So I think on, eight, on May 18th, they're going to have... Uh, Quest for Democracy, which is their advocacy day, and they're gonna be. But now it's all virtual. Before, what they would do, right. what they would do, they would gather um, like six, seven buses from all through California, go to go to Sacramento, and, and and start advocating to different lawmakers about what laws should be getting passed. But now they're this time because of COVID nineteen, it's gonna be all done on on Zoom or or um you know um on some type of platform. Yeah, like Zoom. Right. All right, man. That sounds amazing. Did you, did you, were you one of the founders of Underground Scholars? Yeah. You, yeah, you you started that. So before you began that, it didn't exist. No, not, not, not at the UCs, but at the Cal State, at the Cal State universities, Mm -hmm. there used to be, um, there, there's a Project Rebound. Project Rebound has existed for over 50 years. Okay. And they've been supporting, uh, formerly incarcerated folks in, in the community, I mean, um, in the Cal State system. So you said that this was a, it's a club in many schools but now it's actually a program in ucla and in uc berkeley right it's a program yes 
with the director and everything. Yes, um, at UCLA, it's um, they have a part-time director because she's also the director of the undocumented student program. Bro, this is this is uh, this is a big deal, bro. What you came out and have done, and let me ask you now, current day today, what are what is it that you really want to do with your education? Is there further education, or yeah. where do you want to take? What is it ultimately? What's the big picture um, for you, Danny? So. You know, so far, man, I, I've had the opportunity to have my hands in a lot of things, right? Um, I went out to New York for a year after I graduated from Berkeley on a fellowship. I was out there for a year living out there. Um, and so right now, um, I'm, I'm in the process of applying for my master's degree. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, I, I want to see myself, um, I want to be at a community college. I want to work at a community college um, as a faculty member, you know, teaching either ethnic studies or running a program for formerly incarcerated students. Mm-hmm. And for me, the community college was uh, really the place that gave me my jump start. Mm-hmm. I mean, it gave me my jump start and really starting my life over and giving me real actual opportunities. And options. Yeah, and mm-hmm. options, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, um, and so being at a community college, for me, you know, um, that's where my heart's at. And, and I want to go to a community college, especially one where, where it's highly impacted, right? Where, that's in the community where, you know, you're going to run into a lot of folks that are formerly incarcerated. And I want to, for me... Ultimately, I want to be a resource for people. I want to be a resource for people that, 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 you know, that are coming out of prison, that want to do something different. I want to be a resource for homies. And, and, and when I say homies, um, I'm not just talking about, like, camaradas that, mm-hmm. that, that, are, that are Southsiders or Sureños. Mm-hmm. I'm also being inclusive of, like, you know, people that have the same experience as me, whether they're from up north, mm-hmm. wh- whether they're Bloods or Cribs or, or you know. Right, bro. That's whatever. right, brother. That's like, right. I, I'm here to support anybody that wants to do something different with their lives. And if they want to do it through education, I want to be able to help them through that process. Man, I, I really love the fact that you, you've said it a number of times, man. And, and I'm with you on that, brother. Like, I'm about all of us. Because when you... When you, you remove our skin, bro, we're all the same. We're human beings, you know? And, and everybody that's suppressed all needs to support. Yeah. I believe each other. But, you know, man, it, it's very clear kind of I got what you said that it was really in the community college setting that provided you the opportunities, the options um, for you to move and really get to see, okay, now this is what I yeah. want to do. But it came from there. And it sounds like you want to be that platform for other people. No, definitely, definitely. But also I want to include, though, that, that the community college did give me the opportunities, but I think the plan for something different. Not a short, not, I didn't know exactly what that was going to be, mm-hmm. but the development of a plan to do something different when my life happened mm-hmm. in the shoe. City, in the right, shoe. in the shoe. Right. In the shoe, right? Like that for me, you right? had to come to that place yeah. before any of this took Yeah, you right. know, and, and, and one <laughs> of the, you know, like I said, it was different processes that, that happened, right? Like I'm sitting, I'm, I'm in the shoe you know, um, I have that experience with the homie from Carmelas. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're like, like, what the fuck are we doing to each other? That's one thing that, that really played an impact, had an impact on me. Another was thinking about my mom, right? Thinking about my mom and everything that she's been through. And while I'm in solitary confinement, she's writing me, like, for almost three, four years. Like, all her letters, bro, are your brother, your brother, your nephew, your brother. Like, she's concerned. Right. Like, she's like, I don't want them to end up like you. Right, or, or, like, right. or, or, or like my brother Gordo, uh-huh. right? I don't want them to end up either like either of you. And so she's like concerned, and like for me, like in my mind, like like oh, I have to do something. You have a responsibility. Yeah, and, and so when I came home, 
you know, um, that was another thing that played a, played a role in me wanting to do something different. And then also my homeboy, Little Ha, right? That's the guy that took that deal. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. When he took that 25 to life, I didn't think about it then, no, but I thought about it now. Mm-hmm. In that moment, it was like, yo, he took a fucking deal for me to get another shot. Mm-hmm. Right. right. And what are you going to do? What fucking do waste it? it? Right. I, I'm not going to waste that shit, yo. Yeah. I mean, right. he, he took, he, I, I didn't think about it like that before, right? But right. when it happened, like in that moment, I was like, homie took, he took, he swallowed a fucking 25 to life. So to give I you can, an opportunity. And, and I'm not, I'm not going to fuck that off, you know? Yeah. You know what? And what's even more impressive it's is like on bro. some level, some Real guys, fun. some guys would be like, yeah, and I'm not going to mess up that opportunity. So I'm going to make a success of myself. And that would be pretty good. But what Danny's doing is he's trying to like actually make an impact on more than just him, but like yeah. on a bunch of people so that yes. Little Hawk's sacrifice mm-hmm. actually is even more meaningful than mm-hmm. it just you got a second chance, but right. maybe other people got a second chance. Uh, and, and that's why you don't know what one person's actions can affect. And you, and I love that. The thing that fucks me up on that is it's also a negative. To, it can't. No. Right? It like it's, positive. I'm not saying it in no. this positive. I'm saying it in all terms. Right. That's right. I'm agreeing you with you. You know what yeah. one thing is going to, but when it comes out in a beautiful way, you in know, this case, yeah, in this absolutely. case, absolutely. You know what? I'm gonna. I wanted to say one thing. It's very. This is what blows me away. Right. When you tell me that he had this pause and you a moment of clarity when that little thing happened. Right. Right. There's a guy that I met in San Francisco that had done 16 years in the shoe. He's from up there. His name's Lou. Lou. He's now got into working. He got out. He did 22 years, and and now he's working with. He's doing a lot of work that you do, but not in the college arena. Right, but right. I'm More like in the reentry services. Exactly, yeah. bro. And his whole thing happened to him after he was uh, like eight, 19 years into his prison term in the shoe. And he said that a prison guard, that something with like his cuff of his foot or something was like dragging. And the prison guard was like, hold on a minute. And bent over and like fixed. His, fixed his cuff. His cuff. The prisoner's cuff. The prisoner's cuff. Right. CO. And when he did it, the dude said that he's like something happened and like tears started falling from him. And right then, everything changed for him. And you know, it's like human pay, to human. It's something about that, bro. Like what you said made me think of that. And it's not always the big tidal wave yeah. that's going to change your life. It can be very, very subtle, bro, when this thing comes. And like at that moment, at that moment, there was a piece of you that was just like tired, ready, open, like something happened, dude, you know? Um, and I just, when you said that, it made me think of that because sometimes that change comes and it can, if, if you're not aware of it, it can pass you right mm-hmm. by. Yeah. And for me, definitely, man, if I had to say what was like that whole thing right there was really my little brother and my, and my nephew. Like, I didn't want my mom to go through the same shit that she went through with me and my brother. Right. And so, okay. how you said I, that I could have just came home and made a success of myself and that would have mm-hmm. been good enough. Right. For me, at one point, I was just thinking, like, as long as I can help my brother and my nephew not end up dead or in prison, I'm good. Sure. But just things happen, you know? Things happen that just kind of, you know, as, as, I'm, as I'm growing as a person, as a human being, mm-hmm. right. you know, I'm being put in opportunities mm-hmm. where, like, I end up going to Berkeley, like, yo, you could be part of the hunger strike, bro. Like, I can support the same fucking dudes that backed me up when I was in the shoe. The same people that gave me a blueprint about, you know, how to succeed when I came home from prison. You know, and, and for me, it was like, I got to give something back. Let right. me ask you a question, Danny. Right. Let's, let's get right to it. Number one, for the knuckleheads and the knuckleheadettes that are listening out there, 
what book do you think and and don't get too precious about it like no but what like for you like you're like you want to get started on the road of uh, an awakening i would think this book would be part of the library i'm gonna go with you know with uh chicano writers like you know at least for i'm thinking i'm thinking of like homies like me right yeah go ahead i'm thinking of homies like go me. ahead um and, and it when i first read this book it was in juvenile hall and it was more from like oh it talks about my hood you know and that was always running Always right. Running by, by Luis Rodriguez. Mm. But when I read that book, it was more from the perspective like, oh, he's talking about game banging in the 60s. And like, right. I want to read this. Mm. Right. You know, um, and then I read it years later, years later as I'm, you know. Maturing. Yeah. And, and, it, and it hits me differently. There's a completely a different book. message. A fucking different message, bro. Uh, um, also, um, A Place to Stand by Jimmy Santiago Vaca. A Place to Stand. By Jimmy Santiago Vaca, who also did Time. But I read that after I got out. Mm-hmm. I read that after I got out and, and that left an impact on me because, you know, similar experiences, you know, with, you know, in terms of like domestic violence and, you know, shit, you know, shit that, that, that happens in, in the household. Right. Um, but, you know, also been to prison, did solitary time. That was a book that also resonated with me, you know, but then there's also books like, you know, um, a prison, a book that I read in prison was um, Dreams of Freedom. It, it was a, a book on, um, Ricardo Flores Magón, who was a, an anarchist, revolutionary anarchist during the Mexican Revolution. Right. Mm. That shit had an impact on me. Do you think that uh, anarchy is a better system? What do you think is the right system? Let's just get down to it. I, I think we... That, I, I, don't, I don't have the, the, the right analysis to sit which ones are going to be the right system, but yeah. based on my experience, I know that capitalism is not the right one. Are you a socialist? I, I think I have more socialist tendencies than I do yeah, capitalistic yeah. tendencies. Well, this is what I was going to say. This is what I was trying to say earlier was that I think part of the capitalist game is to think that there's a capitalist and there's a socialist. If you look at Soviet Russia, which is not the end all example of communism, but it's one of them that happened. I think in every human relationship, whether it be just between two friends or an entire nation, I think you have... A socialist aspect, which is like we're going to share and we get along, right? And there's going to be a competitive, oppressive aspect, maybe, because there's going to be some kind of give or take. The question is not, are you going to get rid of it? The question is, how are you going to manage what seem to be some natural aspects to human nature so that the most benefit? If you think you can get rid of capitalism entirely, I think that's going to be, I think that's in a sense a loser because no, whether you want to call it capitalism, you want to call it socialism with some tendencies, if you want to call it a controlled marketplace, if you want to call it communism where there's no private property, there's always going to be some kind of ego part. And that's to me what capitalism is, is an ego part, right? It's a subjugation. It's also a, I'm going to get more than somebody else through some trickery, mm-hmm. Right. And one of the arguments against capitalism is like, yeah, but if we don't have that, then we're going to get a lot of freeloaders. And I'm like, yeah, actually, capitalism sets up for freeloaders. That's a problem. That's what capitalism is. Jeff Bezos, in some ways, is a freeloader. You don't pay taxes. Right. Exactly. And, and, and you don't think of it that way because all you think about is like, oh, so Jeff Lex Luthor Bezos was, you know, in a garage with books and he figured out, you know, and now he's, you know, now he's left his wife and is with a hotter chick and, you know, mother. but you don't think about it in the real way, which is 
The whole infrastructure that would even give rise to something like Amazon was created by taxpayer money. The internet? That was originally a military thing. And that military gets paid funded by taxpayers. So that is freeloading. But they don't think about it like that because they think, well, Jeff Bezos worked hard to get to where he's at. But my point in saying that is, is I'm thinking the way we've been framing the discussion up to this point hasn't gotten us that far. The best that we can say we've done with the education and the sitting in and Gandhi's hunger strikes and decolonizing and all that stuff, the best that we can say we've done is the neoliberal capital democracy, which is what Bill Clinton represents, right? On the one hand, it's better than what maybe Reagan was up to. Mm -hmm. The flip side is all those strike laws and all that prison labor shit came out underneath Clinton. So what I'm saying is, is like, Maybe the converse, maybe the frame has to be like, nah, okay, so fuck, I'm no longer worried about capitalism or socialism. I'm not worried about that. What I'm worried about is efficiency or maximum efficiency. utility or maximum opportunity or whatever you want to call it so that what it's really about is that public education is number one on the list of priorities because it's a national security issue in my mind that like, the poorest of the Americans needs to have the best education because it's the poorest of the Americans that may be vulnerable to some sort of national security threat. Like, like you, Iran might not be able... Go ahead. What when are you, you talking say? about the most vulnerable right now under COVID-19, the most vulnerable are fucking marginalized communities. Right. But, but this is something that really started from a place of privilege. Right. People that can travel... Brought yes, that shit back Exactly And now who's most impacted These people that we call Essential workers Which really they're Sacrificial workers Right Which is why they're making These factory workers Go back to work Because they know That the people working In those meat packing industries They're not wealthy elites They don't give a shit They're like Fuck it Let them come And that's why You get a mix The message Like from the, even the fed Where it's mm -hmm. like Everyone Calm down Nobody meet together We gotta lock this shit down But also, everyone get together and, and we want these workers to work over here and work over there. Let me ask you a question about that because sometimes I wonder, do you think that they're – let's just fucking call it. Do you think Trump's encouraging all of this freedom stuff because he knows it's mostly blacks and Latinos that are being affected by the virus? Yes. Boom. There it is. I, I think about what's going to happen, right, if this shit breaks out into prisons throughout the country. And it's going to become like our own fucking concentration camps. I mean, you know, what's so crazy about that <clears throat> is that um, if it I, gets out of hand, we're going to see like fucking, you know, like some fucking. Um, you can have everybody contained, bro. It, it's fucking impossible to fucking keep people separate in prison. You know, and how do they get in there? Though? Like, it's not like people are coming out here and taking it back in. You mean like it's people that work there, not not the people that are incarcerated. This is this is what's so maddening about it, is that not only are the people that so you've got people that are incarcerated, a lot of them are are no one's being tested, right? And now you have this, but the CEOs and the people that work there, they go home, and they're infecting their families. And, you know, it's, it's, it's so weird to me that I don't understand. I mean, I do understand it, but it drives me crazy because I don't, if I had another life, I would just spend my entire time working on this, which is there's a lot of people who are broke who think they're just about to be next in line for the big payout. That's how capitalism works, right? Right. 
And those folks think like, all I got to do is maintain the system one more day longer and then I'm going to get paid out. And it's those ones that wind up being consumed first by the system. Like, do you think Trump really, like you look at those people down at the Capitol steps, right? Like you look at those maniacs, right? Fat people in camouflage with like (laughs) guns, right? That want to be able to go to the bar. Do you think those people are actually Donald Trump's friends? Like he even gives a shit about those people? Well, you know, Besides the, you know, whether they're, they're you know, the size of their body, because they're, they're coming all sizes, right? But, <laughs> Most uh, of them are fat. But I would say that um, a lot of these people have their identity tied to what they consume. You mean like, like I need to get my hair cut. I, I need to make sure that I have fucking, I can go to, I can go shopping wherever they, they shop. Like people want to fucking spend money consuming things that are being the services are being provided by the essential workers. Well, what's crazy about what you're saying is, is that it's true. It's a hundred percent what you're saying. And, and not to the point that we've even for the last 50 years have told everybody like the way our economy works is by consuming. Well, like when nine 11 happened, what did fucking George Bush tell the to the mall, get to the, get the Nor- to normal, mall. normal, normal program, start buying shit. And the thing is, 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 even if they, uh, this is the part that I don't understand quite yet. Even if they release the controls a little bit, which they probably will do, and everyone, you know, is able to go to the mall or whatever, it's not going to be anything close to what was happening pre the virus. Right. And no one is making, the average person does not make enough money to buy all of the stupid little trinkets. That's required to keep a consumer economy going. And I actually think the elites know this. And they've known it for some time. Which is why in Stockton and these other places they've decided like, we got to figure out like what what we're going to call it a universal salary. Mm. They're already doing it in Spain. Right? And I actually think that the whole game that's been going on in the last 10 years has been who's going to control the rules of the universal salary? Like, who gets to write the rules? Are we going to let the Chicanos and the people who actually work and take in all this debt and fucking sweat their balls off, are they going to get to write the rules on universal salary? Or maybe we should allow the, the techno-capitalists, Google and Facebook and Bill Gates and all those guys, maybe they should be the ones to write how the universal salary goes down. What are your thoughts, underground scholar? Go. On, that's a bad idea. <laughs> just like that, just that's a bad idea, right? But, but I don't think they would ever be in a p- place. We would never be in a place where they're going to allow us to make that. that of that. course. So I mean, that's what I think. But it comes. It has to come through organizing, right? Like for us to push. But how are going to organize? Not just, but not just as 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 Chicano, but like we have to fucking you know. When is that? What do we need to do, underground scholar, to get there? Because Jesus Christ, we've been saying that for thirty years. <laughs> yeah. We, more, more than 30 years right bro. we've been saying that since they the closest here. we got there the closest we got to that would have been martin luther king when he was advocating for sanitation workers money whether you were black or white and that's when they Killed shot him. him so how do we organize against these fat cat fat net sons of bitches that are pinching the straw and i think it's true like even as much as we organize they're also organizing as well. <laughs> Capitalize, ca- ca- you know. That's true. They don't stay stagnant, right? Like right. That's people true. are thinking of ways of new ways of how to fucking capitalize. They hire of people to do that. That's their whole job. 
Right. Their whole job is to sit back and look at everything and think about what the next three moves are. And uh, but but you know, I'm not the most um, knowledgeable in this field, but I can definitely bring you some folks that also have similar stories as me mm. that can break that shit down. Let's do it because I, you know what, Steve and I get crazy and we start punching walls. I want. We're, like, <laughs> we're like, dude, we need to organize. Like, like we need to wake everyone. Like, let's just fucking admit it. We live in a welfare state. Corporations get the welfare. Poor people carry a bunch of work and do all the customer service shit that nobody else wants to do. Uh, we're starting a march. We're right. going to announce the date of this march, but we're going to activate all <laughs> of Los Angeles and surrounding areas. We're about to do a march. We're not standing for it anymore. So by next week's show, <laughs> when you're listening, we're going to have some more carved out for you, but we are organizing... A March. You know what I would love? City of Los Angeles, we're fed up. I would love if we got the city of Los Angeles to march to Jeff Bezos' house. Yes. Tear down his walls, Mm -hmm. right? Rip the doors off his house, go in, pull him out of bed, strip him naked. Do you know what I mean? And just and prove, do a Mussolini? Yeah, like just, just drag him through the streets. Now, like, I'm just joking in case any of the NSA or the cops are listening. That was uh, hyperbole. But, but yeah. it is a metaphor for how I feel about what needs to happen. I'm against the idea of um, accumulation of wealth, bro. Like, what is, why does somebody need so much fucking money, bro? I'll tell you, you. I got the answer for you. You know why? Because it feels so... Oh, yeah, of course. You know, like, or you, but all I'm saying is, is you're right. Like, why does somebody need more than like 80 grand, 100 grand, right? Like, in fact, no one's ever done it. What if you were to take all the accumulated wealth of the 1% or whatever it is, and you would actually divide it up equally amongst... How much do you think that would put in your pocket? You could take half of the top 1%. Of the accumulated wealth. You could take half of their money. Yeah. Half of their money. Yeah. Distribute it. They would still be the top 1%. Right. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. And everybody else would be fed. Right. But uh, it's Imagine so, that. So this is what I don't understand. This is why I think it's a national security issue. Because, listen. <laughs> it is. It is. Because... Because because you don't have that, these elites have more in common with elites in other countries. Of course. And so they sell our shit out. That's why you have Trump doing golden showers in Moscow and fucking jacking off Putin and whatever else he's Listen, doing. I want to cut. We're going to pick that up on our next show, partner. But this is very important. Big uh, Lepke uh, has called in to say uh, West Side. Mm-hmm. And uh, Junior 9002 Six Side says West West. Uh, okay very Uh, wonderful important important and that is and you know what i wanted to say real quick was uh before i thank our guests i wanted to thank daily cella oh they put up our stuff every week man brandon and the whole team at daily cella we love what you guys are doing you can always catch a hard luck show on daily cella um at daily cella um with that i want to i mean Brother, I, you got to come back on. For sure. Yeah, we sure. got to we'll have you on. I want you to bring some of your friends with you. Yeah, I like to get into a round table. Let's get some Berkeley heads over here and everybody, and let's do I'm some round table. Crazy. Let's talk I'm about done. some change, man. Be careful what you wish for, because you, you, fucking, we might turn the fucking tables over, bro. Yeah, it might get I crazy. Like it. I like it. Too much. I want to introduce you to my homie, who's he's about to 
He's barely going to Berkeley for his undergrad, but he, his goal is to go to uh, law school. Okay. He did 18 years. He appealed his case and beat that shit. He beat it like sentence. Yeah. yeah. And he, he sued fucking CDCR like five times. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's going to like him. Yeah. 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 Let's right. do it. Let's yeah, do it. let's do it. Let's so I, I know in. a bunch of folks that are doing fucking good. Good. You know, they're doing good now. You know what I mean? Going, doing great. You know, spend time, long time in prison and... um. You know, hearing their stories is also something that, that, that folks in our community need to hear. Right. Well, good. We're going to always give you credit. You help us get those shows together, and you're on as a producer on those shows. Right. You dude. know what Let's I'm saying? And, Let's and, do it. And, and, and listen, you guys follow um, at Underground Scholars. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, is there anything else that they need to follow? Any website they need to know about? Um, there's um, the Instagram for, for Underground Scholars. There's a few of them. There's a... Um, at the Underground Scholars, that's the folks at Berkeley. There's Underground Scholars Initiative. At Underground Scholars Initiative, that's UCLA. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe there's uh, Underground Scholars UCR, that's Riverside. Underground Scholars uh, UCI, that's Irvine. Mm-hmm. Um, there you can, you can uh, look at uh, Berkeley Underground Scholars website. They also got information about their program. You know, um, for folks, man, like if you have family on the inside, man, like get, take this information and give, you know, pass it to folks on the inside. There's also Project Rebound at the Cal States, yeah. right? There's also supporting formerly incarcerated people. And then across the community colleges, man, there's about like at least close to 40 to 50 community colleges that are supporting formerly incarcerated students that are can, coming home from prison and shit. Do you have anything that you've, uh, you got a blog or you writing, written anything that you want to p- that plug or have people go see? Or do you want to put your account number up and people can wire your money directly? <laughs> <laughs> no, if people want to follow me, I got an Instagram at, at, yeah. at, at, at jmu, uh, J-A-Y-M-U-7-9. And there I, I'm, always, I'm always posting stuff that I'm doing. You know, um, Awesome. Beautiful. And we're going to tag that on the show. Yeah. When we do the post, yeah. we'll put all these ads and we'll put yours because people are going to want to follow no you and, yeah. and get caught up with you. and. And listen, man, I have so much admiration. I have so much respect for what you've done with your life and admirable on what you're doing to help our community and the community at large, you know, inside and out. And, man, you're a gentleman. Uh, You're a good man. It's a pl- it's just great having you on the show, man. I I'm just really impressed, no, bro, with everything I, you've done. I appreciate and, the I appreciate the invitation, bro. And 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 you know, getting here was it was kind of. Uh, my, it looked like it wasn't gonna happen and shit. I kept I kept te- texting Homeboy after the first time I canceled, and he never responded. Like, man, Homeboy must probably be pissed off that I dropped nah, him off at the last minute. Nah, he's never. just busy. Right? Yeah, never no doubt, no doubt. Home. And I also got to think about that too, you know. And uh, but I'm here, and I appreciate the invitation, bro. It was yeah. you're here, and you'll be back. You'll be here. back. So I want to thank you, brother. Are you thank plugging you. anything, Steve? What are you plugging? I'm gonna plug at Supermax uh, Hardware. I want to plug. Um, uh, vibes cookies, you guys at vibes papers at cookies and Estevan Oreo at Estevan Oreo, you guys, soul uh, assassins. You're up. Uh, I'm plugging, uh, listen, you know, you fucked St. around, St. James Sense, yeah, hey, St. James, Saint, Sense. you know what? In fact, listen, uh, as in, in honor of underground scholars, here you go, my man. Oh yeah, St. James, St. James. Sense. He deserves it if anybody. Oh, are you kidding me? Listen, you put that smell on, That's you're gonna be bomb. beating the hyenas away with a stick. Let me tell you. <laughs> yeah. And now, listen, St. James Sense. They make the greatest sense of all time. Ig St. James Sense. Big shout out to uh, to our homeboy over there. 
I wanted to plug, uh, you fucked around, got in trouble. What do you do now? You call the Indian Ovando Bowen LLP, right. baby. You got shit on your jacket you want to expunge? Talk to me. I can help you out. And also, I'm available. You guys don't know, but I get hit up every once in a while. It doesn't cost anything. People got a question about this, that, the other thing. And if I can answer it, I fucking shoot them straight. That's right. Uh, and then, uh, I, and then uh, I also want to... Uh, I want to plug, uh, dude, we got a documentary coming up, Westlos. Yeah, just Charlie work- Chacon. Charlie Chacon. At Rama Torres, too. Yeah, you the know? greatest uh, yeah, cinematographer sure. of all time, Rama Torres, right? Yeah. He took that ayahuasca, and then he just got crazy after yeah, it, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I want to give a big shout-out to... Uh, uh, to Big Pick Mike, the photographer, yes. Mike, right? We're working on a project with his... Mike Angelo Photography, yeah. and we're working on a project with his wife, Maria. Yes, we yes. are. Uh, are we even allowed to say what the subject matter of that is? Uh, not yet. Pretty I want to give a big shout-out to uh, to a television show that has yes. been moving forward, right? Hard to Kill. Hard to to kill and uh i just got finished with the script and uh looks like it got to patricia arquette she's fucking yep. excited Big about shout it. out to patricia ah uh, come on if you, you know. don't know patricia arquette then uh you're gonna get the back and the front of my hand and uh, our buddy p and enzo and enzo's pizzeria oh lenny's listen we need to do another enzo pizzeria show with with lenny and his dad the fucking wrestler yeah, and the and the fucking um, and Lepke, if you're listening, brother, big shout out to OG Lepke. Big shout out uh, to such Schmitty. a big player in it. Oh yeah, Lepke. I we I you know what I was thinking is since we have the script now, mm-hmm. uh, the, the audience doesn't know, but old Blue Eyes and I and you are going to put together an audio version of the show of the show. Yes, right. Are yes. you guys ready for that? Now, here's the thing. Uh, I was thinking maybe we should do a couple of uh, rehearsals. You know, like maybe one or two seconds of a scene mm-hmm. with like Lepke in here and see how he does. He might need some projection lessons. Probably not. He can probably, you could probably hear him from across the room. We'll put it out there. But I want to hear, you know, his interpretation, you know, and what his process is in terms of acting. You know, how he goes inside, whether he gets the tefillin wrapped around his arm, does a sit sit or whatever that is. Um, and then, uh, old Blue Eyes. Blue Eyes. What you are got you, shout outs? Yeah. What, what's your... Uh, no. I got nothing. You, dude, wait a second. Does uh, it, disinfect podcast? Yeah. Disinfectpodcast.com. Who's on that? Uh, Maurice Bernstein from Giant Step and my buddy Matt Deal, who's a um, freelance journalist. Hey, dude. Bi- journalist. Hey, old Blue Eyes. Didn't you do a show with Moby or something like that? How did that go? I did. That's... That'll that'll be part of, well, it's I I did two shows with him so, with Moby, yeah. It will you know uh, I recorded two shows at the same time. Right. So one of them will be part of Disinfect, and another one will be part of another podcast called The End of Radio, which is Mad Deal's podcast. Dude, you know, uh, uh, did did Mo- Moby talk shit about Sean's setup, old mm. blue eyes setup? <laughs> Do you remember that? He did. He did. He, he came in and he looked at all the microphones. He's like, "You don't really need all." What did he say? Uh, he was. He was. Because uh, we have a. We record with a twelve channel or sixteen channel Zoom, and um, <laughs> and he thought that was a little excessive to bring to uh, like 
recording for two people. Hmm. And Sean, uh, I mean, maybe he's right. But. No, Sean, shoot, Sean was fucking like, what the fuck? I just met you, and you're trying to critique my setup. I mean, I know right. you. You made some money by pushing some buttons, but don't fucking tell me. And now Moby's in the news because he's talking about how hard it is to be in isolation on this lockdown. Oh, and also how hard it is to, to pay the people that work at his um, restaurant. restaurant. He, yeah. he let all the people go and gave them no severance. To the side of the neck for Moby. Oh, From yeah. Steve Luciano. That's right. At the Hard Luck Show. You know what, Moby? You come over here. You might get beat up. Yeah, you might find out what happened to Moby Dick. You <laughs> all right, anyway. Um, that's all I got. That's all I got. All right. Danny, thank you again. Danny! And uh, from the bunker, Southern California, the greatest show on earth, it is time to say goodbye. Adios, amigos. Woo!